It's called run of the mill, this one. Take one. Now this one's art of dying. Take one. This is a <coughs> everybody nobody. <coughs> Phil, this is the one window window and it's a bit silly. Are you ready? Phil? Oh, there's that one. <coughs> No title for that. <clears throat> this one is the last one I wrote the other day and it's a few words needed yet. Beware of darkness. Welcome to this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. I'm John Stone. So, the All Things Must Pass box made it out to, well, some people. Yeah, poor postman, you know, all over the country, lugging these boxes everywhere. I bought the Uber box, and I haven't received mine yet. It is in the system, so they're telling me a delivery date of probably Wednesday or Thursday. Ah. Well, it's it's been kind of interesting. It's... Not the, the smooth rollout, one would hope. Are they surprised how many people bought it? <laughs> well, it can't be that because, I mean, they knew the number of pre-orders and they certainly had ordered enough of the sets. The folks from georgeharrison.com did indeed send out an email and it reads in part, due to unforeseen circumstances, we encountered delays receiving the all things must pass media. They were not delivered from the manufacturer on time to fulfill orders by the anticipated shipping timeline, which was, you know, obviously everyone expected to get it on the release date. Right. Because that's the way these things are usually handled. Anyway, we have been doing everything we can to expedite this process, but it is out of our hands for the immediate future. 
If you place your order prior to August 6th, we highly anticipate your media shipping by August 11th. If your order was placed on August 6th, we anticipate your media will ship by August 13th. You will receive tracking once your order ships. And I did get a tracking number, so I know that it has been shipped out, but it's a little bit annoying. Yeah, I was waiting for the next paragraph. You know, if you ordered after August 6th, you will never get it. <laughs> and the other thing is, I will say that I think we've finally absolutely truly hit the end of anybody other than music stores carrying cds yeah sad to say i i actually was at a store about too long ago and was surprised that the entire cd section was a little section of a, of a shelf and you know all the people who who sell big you know yeah the best buys and the department stores the targets and such they used to at least carry CDs, and now it seems like, oh, well, yeah, you can order them online. Although they are still carrying the vinyl. Yeah, because of the, the demand of that and the, the price point of that. And I still have lots of vinyl records from my past, and you know we have a, a turntable set up, and we listen to it. Um, so I get gifts from people. Oh, you still have a record system and you know all the records are really great they're heavy good vinyl you know good sound and so you can tell the difference between my old record collection which you know you could shake records and they would actually wobble <laughs> so that all the new records are much better in quality just the, the fad right now i don't know how long it'll last well but the qc is not great people are reporting that Significant numbers of the vinyl LPs in these sets are warped. Huh. I have not really experienced that. So I can't really speak to that because I've been satisfied with everything I've received so far. I have the red and blue sets and I have a copy of Smile and I have Pink Floyd and, you know, some of the, the newer sets I have. It's all been very satisfactory. And you can go back to that thing that I grew up with, which is holding the LP in your hands and being able to get the experience. Well, and that's why I think we're so attracted to, you know, these uh, ultra deluxe sets. It's just because you get so much good stuff that you can manhandle, you know, put up and look at while the disc is playing. Right. The Sgt. Pepper effect, you know, it was a package that you got and an experience and liner notes and lyrics and extra photos and gatefolds and all that. So that's really cool. Yeah. So Danny and Olivia have done press for this re-release. Day two demos um, is just my father with an acoustic guitar. Okay. Uh, and they're saying some interesting things. You know, here's a quote from Danny. I've devoted my year to doing all things must pass and building the next five years of what we're working on with George Harrison. So, you know, they're planning something. Good for George. You know, he has a lot of interesting product, great albums. I don't know if this means that they're doing the deluxe editions for everything else, but they obviously have a plan. They have a five-year plan, is what Danny's telling us. I have a personal affinity for Wonderwall. And they apparently missed that. So the Apple box and the Dark Horse box, those are actually really pretty good versions of the discs. Yeah. Other than bonus tracks, I don't know how much 
better they could make those sound. Right. Well, there are other pieces of music, and that's what Wonderwall was, was film music. You know, I've, I've heard bits and pieces over the years and other things that could have been added to it. But, yeah, I get it. It's not the, the big seller that everything else was. Yeah, I'm coming to you today from Fry Park, which is uh, the album cover, actually, the, the front lawn of All Things Must Pass. I've just spent a year here, which is uh, the longest I've been here for a while. And we've renovated the studio, and we've done all kinds of really cool stuff. I've been making a record, but mostly just being in the nature. I get to spend a lot of time with the gnomes. They've lived here a lot longer than I have, so I'm kind of I'm kind of renting off the gnomes, really. <laughs> Brilliant. So Olivia said she hopes to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the concert for Bangladesh. Well, that's passed. Right. I'd like a reissue of the movie. And then she also said that as part of that five-year plan, they are working to release other never-before-heard songs by George. That would be fun. Well, I mean, you know, they released that one disc with Living in the Material World, the film, and it was marked Volume 1, and, well, we haven't gotten anything since. <laughs> right. Well, clearly, this set shows that his demo work is very good, very interesting. I'd love to hear Never More, Before Heard yeah. Things. Danny says that just off of the All Things Must Pass stuff, they remixed over 100 tracks, so... Wow. Not quite as extensive as the 150 that Sean did for the Lennon box, but they've got tracks to spare. That's a lot of stuff to have in readiness and not out, so clearly there's stuff coming. So do you think, not based on the music, but just comparing the contents and how they are presented, do you like this better than the Lennon box? I think this shows that the Lennon box may have been a bit excessive in its presentation, the plastic on a band box. Right. Well... You know, there is the benefit in this that, you know, as the legend goes, George had a whole bunch of songs that had piled up over the years. And so when you release this sort of thing, there's more interesting things on it than the Lennon box. I mean, it was kind of uh, focused on this one thing and there wasn't a lot of extra. So you had a lot of duplication, you know, five versions of Mother and that sort of thing this is not quite the same. This has a lot of new music on it, comparatively. That and George never would hesitate to do a Dylan tune if he could. <laughs> right. And I think Dylan recently put out a box of the work he did, you know, the day that George was with him in the studio and they did a bunch of things. Yeah, there's Dylan, a three CD box which came out earlier this year. Yeah. Dylan's part of that group that is putting things out because if you don't put them out within a certain time frame, you lose the rights to them. And so uh, he's kind of putting everything out. Well, particularly nowadays that Dylan has sold his rights. Lock, <laughs> right. and barrel. He, he's no longer in the Dylan publishing business. Right. So someone has to make back the money they paid to Dylan for his catalog. Right. Well, then someone is making tons of money. I don't <laughs> but, I mean, Dylan's always done that. We talk about John being excessive. Now, Dylan, there's a man who will not leave a single track unreleased, if he can help it, between the bootleg series. And then he goes beyond the bootleg series. It's like, oh, well, if you're a fan, you can subscribe to my thing, and you'll get every version of every concert. <laughs> <laughs> You can live my life. 
Exactly. And then you get into the whole putting out a CD of different tunings of my guitar. There's just so much there. I have lots of cassettes of the stuff that I've done, so I'm sure that they have boxes of things. Now talk about a labor of love, putting together this quite incredible 50th anniversary version of All Things Must Pass. You were executive producer, uh, design and creative director. My, what a, what, a, what a project. How long did it all take? It took us about two years to go through all of those 110 takes to find the ones that were the really special ones because um, some of them were just so identical and so good you couldn't choose. Uh, we're going to start with disc four, day two, as they call it here, just because we've had it for a while. And uh, I did a show with Lonnie on it last year, and that show is back in the feed, by the way. So you two can find it. That would be good. Everyone, go there after. Yeah, before we go into that, let's just go through the different versions. There are eight different versions of this thing that you can buy. <laughs> yes. And even the most diehard collector, I don't think they're buying all eight. Immediately, right. Immediately. <laughs> and the versions run from actually quite a value for the money to, well, what I paid. <laughs> right. And, and what apparently a lot of people paid. They made 3,000 of them is the word that we've got. You know, one tree can only go so far, even if the bookmarks are pretty thin. Yeah. But yes, the word is that if they're not completely sold out, they are pretty darn close to being sold out of the Uber editions. We're not going to see a everything slashed. The Uber edition. No, that, that's not going to happen. That's, the value of that is only going up. <laughs> right. The cheapest edition is what they call the standard two CD edition, which just includes the contents of the three original LPs, remixed, of course. Right. That's the despectorized version. Well worth having. Certainly, if you don't have a copy of the album now, you can pick this up for, you know, 10, 12 bucks. And it's warm and great sounding. So, you know, it's not like you're not getting a good value for your dollar. Next week and then the week after, I think we're going to go into track by track of the album itself. In case you don't know. The next version up, the first LP version is, is a three LP version, basically mimicking the original release. It's 180-gram vinyl, and then there are two versions of that, actually. There's the, there's the regular black, and there is the uh, green and black splatter version. Splatter version, yes. I saw someone posted the fact that a splatter got on their label. So, <laughs> the, Well, uh, does that make it more valuable or less? I'm sure you could sell it in future years for the, all things with fast splatter version with extra splatter. <laughs> the next up is the three CD deluxe version, which is the main album, plus includes one disc of outtakes and jams, which is basically not day one and not day two. So what we're talking about today is not in that version of the set. So since I haven't seen that, that or were the selections they made of all stuff that hasn't been uh, known before, or did they can put demos in there as well? No, it's not the demos. It's, it's session outtakes and jams. Okay. So it's other stuff that, you know, like the jams disc, and then you get take 14 of Isn't It a Pity, and take one of Art of Dying, and you get George doing Get Back, <laughs> that sort of thing. So that disc will get to. So that's the three CD, and that's probably about 20 bucks. That's probably your best value 
if you're not a hardcore fan and you just want to go out and get you, you get a nice selection of the album and you get a, a fair number of the outtakes right so that would be the one to get if that was like the if you're financially limited right up from that is the lp version of that with the uh, five lps and does that have the day one and day two that's basically the same as the three cd version i see are the same the third cd is spread across lps four and five the next up from that is the version that most people get, the so-called Super Deluxe Edition, 70 tracks, a Blu-ray, and five CDs. Now, the thing about this version is it's in a 7-inch box, which, in George's own words... Pretty chintzy. <laughs> pretty chintzy. <laughs> you know, yeah. you consider that when you're paying in the vicinity of 100 bucks. And you look, what did John give us? What does Paul give us for deluxe editions in that range? You get a nice LP-sized box, and you get a hardcover book. And, well, George gives us a, well, the contents of the book are here, but they're printed at CD fold-out size. And it's like, ooh, well, that's not great. And it doesn't come with an all-things-must-pass spyglass. No, that's Ringo who did that. <laughs> the next up from that the lp version the musical contents are the same it's eight lps and that this actually does come with one of the two hardbound books the other hardbound book is exclusive to the uber set which is actually the main reason why i bought it you know i'm a big fan of getting all of the documentation that comes with these releases and it's like right well you get a whole book which is only going to be in this one set right that and of course everyone loves the gnomes <laughs> yes but how do they feel in your hand are they heavy well i don't have them yet i won't have them till wednesday or thursday <laughs> well okay they're, they're plastic but people say they are well constructed the mold was beautiful. <laughs> and then the highest end, once we blow past $200, there's nowhere to go but a grand. <laughs> right. A, a full a full $1,000, although many of us have been able to get at least between 20 and 30% off of that. Everything you could possibly want, including a box which apparently makes a really nice coffee table. If you want to get a piece of glass, you can put it on top and bolt it down and... I've, I've seen several photographs of cats enjoying the box. So Again, considering the resale value, I, I think I'm keeping my, my felines away from the box. <laughs> well, you know, it takes all kinds for the world. Maybe I should say, great, go ahead. One fewer mint condition box. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else's just goes up in value just slightly for all the boxes that shoot up by pets. That's all eight versions of all things once past which you could go out and purchase and if you wanted to purchase all of them well we talked about three thousand dollars on a beetle budget you can blow your whole three thousand dollars just on copies of all things must pass yeah that's a lot of money it's not that i don't get the collecting thing because i do i have and i've done it but i'm always amazed the completest person who has to get everything of everything and then it becomes a an object thing rather than an obsession right uh, you than, know than something pretty because it doesn't really have anything to do with the music at that point i was going to say it, it's the music that is the thing that's the most important thing so what i like about it is that 
you know, it's taken this music that I have heard for 50 years and made some uh, sonic improvements on it and then given uh, some new things that uh, had never been heard before, or if they'd been heard, they'd been heard in lesser quality. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks, but Bobby Whitlock has put out this a YouTube video where he says that he's not fond of the sound of the, the new All Things Must Pass. He criticizes the drums in particular and the placement of the horn section. You know, he, he definitely has some complaints about it. Just the fact that you can hear everything so much better is like, I don't know if you're right or not there, Bobby. Yeah. Well, you know, the truth is it's not the same as the original disc. They've despectorized the album for the most part. And in that is the fact that that is not a popular sound. As musical history went on, that muddy thing is not particularly popular. So... You know, this is a reintroduction in some ways to a new audience. It's a more contemporary sounding record for sure. Absolutely. I get why it was made and and I appreciate them making it because truly if there was a complaint I had about All Things Was Past in the original state was that it was thick and muddy and there are things you just can't hear. And we'll cover some of that as we go along yeah i think you say we're gonna do a track by track in the forthcoming weeks but the one thing i will say is a wawa that still sounds like the original to my ears it's much more of that thick sludge almost yeah i think it's the arrangements and the i don't know how many players were on it but it does sound kind of thick and in fact if you read from jason krupa who is the man on spectre these days you know he says it isn't so much despectorization it is that it is george who really changed his mind that george was responsible for the sound of the original album and that specter's real role in it was in choosing the number of musicians in something like wawa where you've got 180 guitar players going at once on one track there's no way to separate them out and you know the philosophy of the song, you know, you've given me a wah-wah, which was to him a, you know, a headache. It, it fits in that, you know, this kind of onslaught of, of sound. So I could see you know, that. But, you know, I don't the, the The album to me sounds specterized enough for me to believe that, yeah, Spectre did have a hand in that. And to say it was George, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, I kept reading these things about despectorization that all things must pass. And I just thought, okay, I've had enough. I've got to, I'm going to say, so I did this, you know, 21 tweet thread on Twitter. When people talk about despectorizing this album, I think some of what they're talking about is taking out the reverb, but, you know, George and Ken were really sort of signing off on that. Ken Scott said, you know, he, he was the one, uh, he, he and George were, were really sort of making the final decision. Spectre would come in and make suggestions and uh, they would take some and, and reject others. But, and I, I think he certainly had an impact. I don't think his, his style of recording basic tracks, uh, I, think, I think that was sort of built into the, to how things were gonna turn out eventually. But, you know, you have Art of Dying and you have Wawa, which 
a lot of people may think have too much reverb, but then you also have My Sweet Lord and you have Isn't It a Pity? So, you know, where do we land on this? You know, it, is it all bad or is it, you know, are you going to pick and choose? Like, if you're going to say Spectre had his fingers in all of this and influenced all of this and, and this is, this determines the sound of the record, then, you know, how do you, how do you parse that up? Paul Hicks and Danny also kind of say the same thing when they say they're not really fond of the term despectorization. <laughs> We've cleaned up the record. We've brought George to the fore, but it's not what everyone's calling it. It's not despectorization, but as far as sh shorthand for this is the way the record used to sound and here's how it sounds now. Okay. We'll use it. Well, you know, I'll jump to a, an example of what I'm saying. And that is, um, the ballad of Sir Frankie Chris, what they did to it was just sort of clean things up. You know, the whole thing of, uh, him singing in a really low voice, you know, the Frankie Chris. I'd never heard that. It was part of the wash that, that was that. And it's almost spooky, but but again, we'll do a track by track. But let's move on to uh, the, the actual disc four this week. And, and we're doing this first because, well, like I say, there there is already a show on the feed on this material. Right. It's been around for, oh, 20, 25 years, uh, even more than that, actually. There was a bootleg CD called Beware of Abco. Right, which was where I heard most of the stuff in the beginning. There's some things on it that hadn't been out there much, or if they had, they'd been in uh, bad versions. But there was a bunch of new songs. We were talking about that. There are a couple differences between the Beware of Abco bootleg and uh, what we get here. First off, they've cut off all the heads and the tails. George did an introduction for basically every song you know, telling Phil this is the name of the song and, right. and maybe just a little tiny bit about it, which right. is usually 10 to 15 seconds at the front of every song. Right. And this is just everything kind of cleaned in. There, there are a couple things. Where... There, are, there are a couple because George starts playing the guitar and then he makes the announcement and there, were, there would have been no good way to take it out. Right. And then in some instances, you get a little sort of studio discussion at the end. I actually kind of wish they just put that as extra stuff, maybe stuff on the Blu-ray that isn't part of this disc. I do like hearing this as what is effectively all things must pass unplugged plus a couple more songs. Right. And he was kind of in the Beatle world, king of that, you know, the demos he made of, something an old brown shoe they were presentable demos not just kind of i'm going to play the song and and there's a lot in here that are that it's like a full band it's not full band because there's there's no drums on anything it's mostly george on either acoustic or electric and there's an unknown bass player who's probably klaus Vorman. yeah i, I would suspect Whoever it is, it clearly has maybe heard the songs once. Right. He's trying to pick up the songs as they go along and figure out what he wants to play. Yeah. Do you know where all these were recorded? They were all recorded in one session in, I believe it was in Studio 3, but 
It was at EMI. Though I'm beside you, I can't carry the lane for you. I may decide to get out with your blessing where I carry on guessing. I will you leap. And then the other thing is, you know, I always thought George's vocals were just a little tiny bit rough, nothing like the Dark Horse years. And now we know that since this is day two of him basically performing two albums worth of stuff live when he hadn't been used to doing more than a song or two in any given day, it's like, okay, that explains why he's starting to lose his voice just the tiniest little bit. Right. And it was all in in May of 70, and there was lots of stuff going on in his life, you know? He was also working on the Doris Troy album and Billy Preston's album. Right. I mean, again, much like when he did lose his voice during Dark Horses because he, he spent so much time working on Raga. Right. So, okay, let's go through the tracks. And like I say, I'll, I'll make a couple comments, but since for the most part you can go and listen to what Lonnie and I had to say last year on this, uh, I'll leave my comments as fairly minimal. The first song of the Day 2 demos is Run of the Mill. Right. And kind of a presentation acoustic before John Barham got in to do arrangements. So it has uh, kind of a different feel. Some of those other lines that came up aren't there yet, but uh, it's, it's a good version. I like it. Yeah, he says that it's not quite finished yet. He says that a couple of times. Right. He takes a long time to write things all through his career where he has been working on something for, in effect, years. So We get one of those demos here with old rocking share in hawaii that well he doesn't finish until brainwashed so right but again that's in a future week then the next track is art of dying right primarily the acoustic version of it and it's one of my favorite songs of his anyway and so this is really nice it kind of strikes me as like the version of while my guitar jeppy weeps you know the acoustic version you could see, in a way, the tune lends itself to this solo playing. I like it a lot. It's one of the ones that I, I think stand out for me. And as we're going to see as we you know, continue through this set, I think we haven't given enough credit to just how much George was feeling the death of his mother. You know, Louise died basically while George was preparing all this stuff for All Things Must Pass. You know, it's always felt like George was certainly talking about the breakup of the Beatles and the ending of something, but he's also talking about his mother's passing. I think she was in the active time of dying, but she didn't pass away until later on in the year. Regardless, they knew it was happening. Yes, absolutely. He, I mean, he would go and visit her to the hospital often. There are a couple of days worth of sessions that George actually had to leave. And in fact, he gave that session time to Eric, and that was where some of the Derek and the Dominoes materials came Yeah, that's from. really you know an interesting tidbit that he did that. But anybody who's been in the midst of having a family member die somewhat slowly knows that it, you know, it just was had to have been weighing on him terribly. You add that in with the fact that he's dealing with the breakup of his band and really sort of not knowing what's going to happen to him. Right. And he's moving house. <laughs> right. He's buying this mansion and he's starting to figure out exactly what he was in for. You have these lists of the major events in your life that are most impacting. 
and death of a parent and loss of a job and making a major move. I mean, he, he was kind of doing it all. In a six-month period of time here. Yeah. And he's trying to make his first solo album. Right. And as you said, there's a work thing going on where he is responsible for somebody else's project. You know, he, he was really being the label producer that Apple needed. You know, they didn't have anybody doing that except for him. Yeah. Part of the deal why George was making a record was he wanted to kind of create an Apple house band. Right. So anyway, that they decide, okay, you're good enough. Why don't you make a record? They didn't have to go out and find players for them. I guess that would have been Frampton and that group of folks. Or? Yep, exactly. Well, and, and even Clapton and uh, Gordon and them as well. I mean, you know, right. George was basically just trying out people. It's like, well, their personalities work and we'll have you around and you can hang out. Yeah. We have fun together. So, okay, the next song is Everybody Nobody, which is an early version of Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. Yes. And doesn't he do that at the beginning? Oh, Sir, Sir Frankie Crisp. You know. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, nobody. It's a slightly different song, but not much. It's a chordal similarity more than the song structure itself, but yeah. Then George moves over and picks up the electric for wah-wah. Right. That is the essence of the song, that riff. But I mean, as we were talking about, you know, I think I'd rather listen to this version of it than the thick version of it on the full record. Yeah, there's some, some things that I'm, I'm kind of like that. You know, it's like, and The Art of Dying is very close to that. You know, it's like, this is really kind of the version that I prefer because it's, George has, you know, that plaintive voice at times that he d- uses on long, long, long and those sort of things. And there's just something about the lines, you know, there, there comes a time when all of us must leave here and he's, he's, he's not singing it full throated. It's more impactful. Okay, so next is a song that we'd actually heard first in the Get Back sessions. Uh, John and Paul uh, had been merciless in their uh, putting down of this song. There's there's a Get Back uh, demo of George playing it where where they just sort of rip into it. Oh, there once was a beautiful girl Loaded a Boston and girl she rides in horses and pretty brawlers. Glenn, why is this microphone very quiet?
Okay, you watch us. We're gonna do this now. You just watch Okay, us. boys, now come on. Pull yourselves together. You're talking to That's me. It. Talking to me. He's the most together man in Garston. Right. Yeah, that's what they do through the get back sessions, but that must not have made George feel very good. Yeah. You know, one of the, the hard things, even with, you know, casual friends, to bring the tune you have out for the first time, it's a very fragile moment. And, you know, how it's received can affect its future very easily. Although I don't think it would have fit on All Things Must Pass. No, I don't think so either. He might have been able to do something with it in a later album, but he never did. I mean, of course, he probably just kept that same opinion that he had at the beginning of this, which you don't hear here, but you hear on the uh, the Beware of Abco version of this. Well, well, Phil, this one's a bit silly. Right. Look out the window and see. But it's a good song, you know. Yeah, there's several songs, and then we'll, we'll get into the main one here in a second, but, you know, where he kind of reveals himself in a, in a way that he does it on other songs, because he talks about, you know, I look out the window and see. I look out the window and see that I get the feeling doesn't see me. I mean, you, you would think that a Beatle wouldn't have that kind of reaction but maybe that's a, a reflection on what happened in the beatles you didn't see me well i mean it goes it goes back to what we've been saying the last couple of weeks about mccartney in three two one you know they certainly know that they're beatles but they're also people right they, they have these same insecurities that we all do right there was one thing i wanted to mention george is like coughing through the first third of the song uh, on the beware of abco version And he's not here. <laughs> I once knew a beautiful girl Who had long blonde hair and a curl She looked after me And I looked before her At that time we hadn't occur It's like, well, gee, how did they do that? Well, you know... Maybe that they had either a different vocal or or they had the guitar separated from the vocal so they could, you know, play around with it. Right. So next is a song that he will if, you didn't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't have realized that it was uh something that had dated back to the uh to the All Things Must Pass era. A beautiful girl. We we would get that uh what, four years later? Beautiful girl was on thirty three to third? Beautiful Girl was on 33 and a third. Now the lyrics there, considering what was going on with George and Eric and Patty, for George to come up with a song, she's not the kind of girl you go handing around. Yeah. Granted, it, it sounds, it, it was actually worse years later when it was Olivia. That, although I guess, okay, it's Olivia that, that's the kind of girl you don't go handing around. I used to be that way, and I'm not that way now. But but if it's Patty, it's like, uh, oh, well, uh, aren't you doing that? There's a story about uh, you suggesting that uh, you and Eric swap for an evening. I don't really know what to say about that. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like, you know, 
love is love is love is love. And, you know, the way that was handled, you know, I don't know about individual moments, but the Harrison loved her and maybe didn't love her after a while, or it wasn't the same feeling. And there's Eric and they all ended up friends and who knows. Yeah. But yes, the, the short version of that is yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. But it's a great song. Yeah. You know, lyrics aside is a great song. Yeah. It's a, got a cool guitar part. Um, yeah. That was another thing that struck me. Of course, you know, Harrison is a great guitar player, but he's got these little licks through all these songs. It's just great to listen to. Well, I mean, that's part of the whole Beatle thing, you know? Yeah. You know, the way the, the music industry has changed is that now you might look at the songwriting credits to a, a song and there'll be 10 people on it, including the producer, because they feel like everybody put in to the the final thing. And so everybody gets credit. But back then it was Leonard McCartney, clearly through story and through just observation. You could see that George added so much to their music. Well, I mean, as Paul said with And I Love Her, you know. Yes, absolutely. That was what I was thinking of. And, you know, and it was George that came up with the riff in Drive My Car. And that's a lot of what we get back in this version of All Things Must Pass, because a lot of those little things kind of got lost in the mix. Right. The focus was on George Harrison, songwriter. And not so much George Harrison, a really fine guitar player. Yeah, and you absolutely get that off of both of these demo discs. Yeah. You know, as he runs through these songs. Yeah, that's the joy of it. He has this riff or a a little passage that kind of defines the song, and, and it's stripped down to that. That's the joy of this record to me. So, okay, so next we get Beware of Darkness, which is very much the final version, you know, right. just in demo mode. Right. Complete lyrics. And beware of outcome. I still want to know, what was George thinking? Because he was on Team Alan Klein at that time. <laughs> right. Unless uh, he was just, like, quoting Mick or somebody. Because the Stones <laughs> were saying that to them, but it's like... Well, George, he, he's your, well, he's John's guy, but you're going along with John, so. Right. Well, <laughs> you never know. Maybe he was just kind of laying it out there, so kind of letting Clyde know. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm keeping I, my, I eye, my on you. eye on you. Yeah. I, know I know what's going on. And, and, and in fact, he would be the first of the three to drop Clyde. Yeah. Courtesy well. of Concert for Bangladesh. Right. And, you know, you go all the way back to Brian Epstein's Cellar Full of Noise when you talk to, you know, there's a whole passage in there about how it's George who's really interested in the finances and where things come from. And so that's part of his personality. So, okay. So then, then we move on to Let It Down. Yes. Um, an old Beatles song, which she has crafted a bit more. About a year and, later. And he lays on the accent there. <laughs> right. Let your hood hang on around me. That's the word in the old magazines that they always laughed about was the her. Her, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, then the next is, uh, tell me what has happened to you. 
It's sort of like I dig love. Tell me what has happened to you. I'll tell you what has happened to me. You know, it's that kind of back and forth thing that he does. But I can see why this didn't go anywhere. No, it's not an amazing song. As opposed to some of the other unreleased ones, which are coming up here in in a minute. But, uh, you know, this was just kind of, okay, uh, well, I'll play it since I'm going through all of my available material now. Right. Then we move on to to Hear Me Lord. Hear Me Lord. Totally apropos ending of the album. That was also written during the Beatles. Well, I mean, a lot of these were written uh, during the time of the Beatles. I mean, but, you know, this is a year later. You know, I mean, this is this is not recent. This is one of the ones that go back to January of '69. This well, is well, and May of I mean, some of the stuff on all things must Art of Dying supposedly dates back to '66. '66, uh, yeah. You know, it was at least in the process for Revolver. Right. Yeah. Think about that for a second. The Art of Dying on Revolver. I'm not sure what they would have done with that. They're in a mode of trying things out, so who knows what that, that version is. And again, it's the like. case of, uh, with I know what it's like to be dead, you're not going to put two songs like that on the record. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, George was doing all right on, on Revolver. Yeah. So. Then Hear Me Lord, so that's, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, then, then two tracks which I really like, Nowhere to Go. Yeah, yeah, which is... Easily my favorite unreleased uh, Beatles song. I mean, uh, George song. Sure, yeah. Clearly, it, it's humorous, um, but it it really is talking about uh, his life. Um, you know, nowhere to go. There's no place that I could hide myself. No place that I know that they know. And I, and I know it. Yeah, again, you, you look at, uh, you compare it to like Brainwash, you compare it to Any Road, which you, which you would have much later. It, it's, that's a little bit similar lyrical content. You yeah. Know, you don't know where you're going, Any Road can take you there. Yeah, I, I saw that line as, there is really no place I can hide. Hmm. You know, there's no place I can go that they don't know. And I know it. Whether it's the fans or whether it's the other Beatles or whether it's Eric and Patty. Or the Beatle thing, you know. Uh, he's He has no privacy. Great lines in it, you know, like uh, Bobby's on the prowl, checking in my bowels. You know, it's... And the uh, the blowjob joke. Yes. And I'm getting tired of being Beatle Jeff. Before Jeff Lynn. They'd met Jeff Lynn, but... <laughs> Right, and then Beetle Ted, and Beetle Ted, yeah, which I think is referred to in the Imagine film. Well, Beetle Ed in the oh, Be- Beetle Ed, yeah, close enough. It rhymes. Right. The next is my favorite of these unreleased tracks, Cosmic Empire. That is a great song. It's got a cool little guitar riff, and I mean, clearly he doesn't have it all worked out. He goes from low to high, but it's a real jumpy little tune. And I think he brought back some of the mood later for Dream Away. Yeah, I can see that. It's a, a similar thing. They're different songs. Again, the, the chords yeah. are all different, and the progressions are all different, but some of the mood of the song seems to have bled over into the Time Bandit soundtrack. Right. It's a place to be. You know, there's a place in Liverpool called the Liverpool Empire, and 
So it's a, a place to be, but more cosmic. There you go. The Mother Divine. I don't have much to say about that. I don't either. It's just something he's obviously showing to Phil or Alan or somebody, you know, here. And, and there's his song. Then a couple of Dylan tracks. Uh, I Don't Want to Do It, which George would finally record for uh, Porky's Revenge. Right. What was Porky's Revenge? Late 70s? The mid-80s. That was part of his comeback that would then lead into Cloud Nine. Right. Well, I'm beginning to think that, you know, if you could remember the last three decades, then you weren't there. And then a song which, uh, as we found out on those Dylan demos we talked about earlier, Dylan was playing a bunch Although the, the arrangements are quite different, uh, if not for you. Right. Yeah, that was his song, you know. And George arranged it differently, more commercially. Well, George's is the better version. Right. But, you know, the hit was Olivia Newton-John. And she took George's version, basically. And, and then just popped it up even more. Right. That's the demo disc. That's Beware of Abco slash the Day 2 disc, Demos. Disc, disc 4. Disc 4 from uh, All Things Must Pass. It, it's a great listen. Really, both days of demos are, are great listens. Yeah, there are things on, on both of the records that are very cool. And I actually thought that we were going to talk about one of them, but it's not on this record. So we'll have to talk about that then. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. we got to figure out which disc we're doing We're doing next. Probably we'll dip into the album proper starting next week. Right. This gives us a little head start on everybody else. <laughs> right. Not that everybody else is going to do four or five shows on, on this box, but hey. <laughs> All right. Both of us did uh, I Know I Know with Hudson Randy this week. Yes. That was fun. He He's a friend of the show, and he's everybody's favorite preteen slash early teen in the Beatle world. He He's here to replace us. <laughs> well, it was interesting for me because Hudson and my son are about the same age. Isaac is well-versed in Beatle music, but I was just kind of really impressed by Hudson's knowledge. He knows a lot of stuff. And he asks good he, questions. He, he's a thoughtful person to talk to. Young man, yes. I'm a Hudson fan. Your show was on was on 1979, George Harrison, the, the George Harrison album. Yeah. Funny story about that. When we were talking about what to talk about, he was asking me, what did I think about this? And we came to that album, and I said, well, you know, it's not really one of my favorites. Uh, and he goes, well, let's do that one then. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that is really cool, you know? That's a, he is fearless. That's the, It's the fearlessness with being that age. Yeah. So it was a fun show. Go listen to it. I haven't heard yours. We covered Brainwashed, uh, which was why I had Brainwashed on my mind in part while we were talking here today. Right. It's available. It's out there. Go pick it up. So uh, we'll be back with something from the All Things Must Pass box. Probably we're going to start on the album proper next week. Sounds good. Sounds Talk good. to you soon. Bye. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beast or Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
tell him hi. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. <laughs> 